0: And you kind of have to keep reminding yourself of it because each day you're going to face things that will get to you a bit and you have to keep reminding yourself, okay, that might be out of my control for the moment. What's in my control is how I respond to it. I can use this situation, including difficult situations, as an opportunity to develop my moral character. You know, Epictetus said difficulties are what show men's characters. Mm -hmm. So each, each difficult occasion that comes to you, See it as like a sparring partner so you can learn to exercise your kind of wisdom and moral freedom.
1: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Cut Podcast. Every single week, I'm condensing a book down with its core golden nuggets and bringing on the author to have a conversation with them about each golden nugget. Hope you all enjoyed last week's episode, and I hope you guys are following me on social media, LinkedIn especially, Instagram as well, and uh, Facebook. And every single week, I'm giving you different golden nuggets, different explanations of each golden nugget, and as I keep going on it, I'm going to keep bringing you more information, better content, and uh, just hope to extend You know my relationship with you out from the podcast to more on the social scene as well don't forget if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast get yourself in for the quick draw all you need to do is rate and review the show take a screen capture that send me an email and you're automatically entered into the draw I've decided that this quarter I'm gonna be giving away a MacBook Air so if you don't have a MacBook Air if you want one hell maybe you might even have one you want to replace it you might want to sell it on eBay I don't care what you want to do with it Either way, get your entry in and you'll be entered into a draw for the MacBook Air. So far I have only maybe about 50 entries, so there's lots of opportunity to win. If you have a 1 in 50 chance of winning a MacBook Air, why don't you want to do it? Get those registrations in, rate and review the show, and I look forward to uh, entering a lot more of you in the draw. Alright, so this week we got the book Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations, Ancient Philosophy for Modern Problems by Jules Evans. This is a very interesting book because essentially it looks at common problems that we all face and some of the philosophers, the philosophies that have existed for thousands and thousands of years that we can follow in order to deal with common problems that we face. Now, when Jules was younger, Jules used the philosophies from some of these major philosophers and we'll go into the book on who these individuals were, and what their philosophies were. But these philosophies that he adopted helped get him through some very difficult times. And so I picked this book up because just in case you're listening and you're going through tough times, and if you're not, you probably will, or you did. We're all going to go through tough times. So if we can arm ourselves with the correct philosophies, the correct mindsets to help get us through these difficult times, then hey, why not give it a listen? So in any case, enough jibber-jabber. I want to crack right into this one. Give it a listen, and we'll catch you back here right at the very end. Enjoy. I'm very excited to bring you our guest today, Jules Evans, the author of Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations, Ancient Philosophy for Modern Problems. Jules, how you doing, man? Great, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the book and talk about mm-hmm. some of your inspiration behind writing the book. And then tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, so I got into this
1: um, topic
0: because when I was... Um, Basically, for about six years from, let's say, 18 to 24, um, I I suffered from various kind of emotional problems. Um, And one's never quite sure why they arise, but in my case, they were probably connected to, I I was what they call a raver when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So I was quite into, um, you know, I did quite a lot of drugs when I was a teenager like kind of LSD and ecstasy and so on, mm-hmm. um, as did many of my friends. And I had a couple of bad trips, which left me somewhat like traumatized, basically. You know, I, I was diagnosed as suffering from like post-traumatic stress. Mm. And I had um, depression and panic attacks and anxiety all the way through university. So I was I was functioning well academically. Like I ended up getting like a first from Oxford in English literature. But my emotional life was was all over the place. And what I felt was that I got very little um, support from my university and very little wisdom from my course. Like it was in some ways a really good course, but it didn't really teach me anything about how to manage my emotions. So I felt that this was a gap, both in my school education and in my university education. Um, So I left university, had a kind of, uh, I guess, a mini breakdown, and eventually had to find my own way to like emotional healing so um you know i was um I, I finally found an expensive therapist who diagnosed me as suffering from these various different emotional problems and he wasn't able to help me but i found that these these kinds of emotional problems could be helped by something called cognitive behavioral therapy um cbt which i think a lot of your listeners um will have heard of it's quite a well-known form of therapy now mm-hmm. Um, and I went to a a self-help group for people who suffer from social anxiety uh, here in London, and there wasn't a therapist there, but one person in the group had illegally downloaded a CBT course for social anxiety, uh, kind of bootlegged it from the internet. Mm -hmm. So we followed this course for about three months, um, and it really helped me. So it helped me to understand my emotions and how I could change them. And because this 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 kind of therapy had, had had helped me, I became fascinated with it. By that point, I was a freelance journalist, so I decided to research cognitive therapy. Um, and I went and I ended up going to interview the person who who'd, who'd kind of pioneered it in the 1950s, an American psychologist called Albert Ellis. Mm-hmm. And I flew to New York and did what was the last interview he ever gave. I mean, he was literally. Um, you know, in hospital, it, on, you know, it, it was about a month before he died, he was 92. Um, so I got to meet this guy who'd invented the therapy that basically rescued me from a real pit and, and to thank him in person. And I asked him, um, where did you get the inspiration for this amazing therapy that's helped so many people? Uh, and he told me that he was basically directly inspired by ancient Greek philosophy. Mm. So you have this form of therapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, which is the most evidence-based form of therapy today. It, it, you know, my government in the UK has put um, over a billion pounds into making it available. And what's amazing is it comes directly from 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 a you know from ancient Greek philosophers who lived 2,300 years ago. So their ideas and techniques uh, have have really not been bettered in 2,300 years. And so this kind of this just, you know, I then in my in my twenties discovered ancient Greek philosophy for myself. I went and read, you know, like this the Stoics. I read uh, Plato, Aristotle, the Epicureans. I'd never really had, you know, much training in philosophy, but I found these guys um, really accessible to read, really practical, um, really useful. They they were, the, you know, and and really for for the ancient Greeks. Um, Philosophy was a form of like what we would consider like self-help or therapy. Mm-hmm. So um, Socrates said, um, you know, Socrates is the father of Greek philosophy. He said, "I teach my students how to take care of their souls," um, and that's, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the word for care of the soul in, in Greek is, is 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 psychotherapy. So they really gave us the kind of groundwork of of therapy. You know, I, I still get emails from people, you know, saying they've been helped by it and and that's basically because I think what it does is it helps to popularize some of this wisdom from the ancient Greeks. It's the same ideas and the same principles that really helped me as well. I mean, and, and those ideas, that wisdom has, has, has lasted all this time. I mean, if you think about how much that wisdom has helped people, we're talking about millions of people it's helped. So really, this book was just trying to make people more aware of this amazing resource in our culture.
1: One of the objectives of the conversation with you today is to really dig deep into some of the golden nuggets that I took away, and I think we can really cover off some of those elements. So I took five away from this book that I really wanted to talk with you about, and the first one being that the Stoics teach us the art of self-control and accepting reality as it is, because we all face hardship in our lives, as did the ancient Greek and Roman Stoics that ranged from, you know, the agonies of slavery to the hardships of running an empire. So... When we face difficulties in our lives, the question is, you know, what should we do? Well, if you look at the Stoics, their central belief was that we should concentrate on changing what is in our control and accept what isn't. And by doing that, we avoid frustration and increase our effectiveness.
0: Yeah, I mean, they really pioneered, um, uh, you know, the psychology of resilience. Um, the, 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 The philosopher who really developed this was this philosopher called Epictetus, he was a, a slave in the Roman Empire, um, which meant he had zero control over his external life. Like his, um, if you're if you're a slave in the Roman Empire, your owner can kill you with impunity. And his first owner beat him up so badly he walked with a limp for the rest of his life and is often pictured it with a crutch. So, out of that kind of intense laboratory of human experience, Epictetus realised that the way to stay resilient in potentially traumatic situations is to focus on what he could control. Like his owner could, to, could uh, beat him up or threaten him with death, but he couldn't control his beliefs, his thoughts, his values. Within that world, Epictetus was free. So ironically, this slave in the Roman Empire became the great philosopher of kind of inner freedom in Western culture. Um, and, you know, I, I teach practical philosophy in 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 lots of different kind of organizations like i I teach it in a a rugby club who are like the kind of european champions of rugby and in in various companies and this is the most it's it's a very simple idea but it's the most useful idea i think the stoics have to teach us and you kind of have to keep reminding yourself of it because each day you're going to face things that will get to you a bit and you have to keep reminding yourself okay, that might be out of my control for the moment. What's in my control is how I respond to it. I can use this situation, including difficult situations, as an opportunity to develop my moral character. You know, Epictetus said difficulties are what show men's characters. Mm -hmm. So each each difficult occasion that comes to you, you see it as like a sparring partner. So you can learn to exercise your kind of wisdom and moral freedom.
1: Mm. You know, I also think about when I read this, I thought about Stephen Covey's, um, seven Habits of Highly Effective People where he talks about the circle of concern and the circle of influence. And some of this is, is loosely tied together where the circle of influence, that's the things that you can influence, things that you can change, things that are within your control. But a lot of the times yeah. when we focus on the circle of concern, the things we don't have control over, that's when we start to get stressed. That's when we start to worry. That's when, um, you know, things start to build up and, 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 and um, you know have negative side effects on us because we don't have control over those things. We have to have yeah. control only on those things that or, or we have to focus on those things that only we can control. And uh, I believe that this point also talks talks greatly to that. And you can see how they sort of blend together.
0: Yeah. I mean, Kobe was a great student of self-help. Um, he, he'd read a lot of it going back, you know, beyond the 20th century. So I've no doubt that he um, was familiar um, with, with the ancient Greeks. Likewise, someone like Viktor Frankl. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across this great book, Man mm-hmm. and His Search for Meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: have you come across that? No, I haven't come across that, but I'm going to take that note down and I'll have to look at that one for sure. It's a, it's a classic.
0: Frankel grew up in, um, in a concentration camp in World War II um, and uh, you know a, a kind of horrific situation. And yet he says that he managed to actually morally grow in that situation because a bit like Epictetus, he came to the realization that the Nazis controlled everything in that Apart from this one freedom that couldn't be taken away from him, which was the freedom to choose his perspective or to choose his response in any situation. So, I mean, and he developed this whole school called Logotherapy. Again, I think he was kind of directly influenced by by the Stoics. The Stoics um, were the pioneer of this idea um, and and a lot of great self-help teachers have have taken from them
1: so if we look at golden nugget number two we talk a little bit about the epicureans and so my takeaway here is that follow the epicureans because they'll teach us to find pleasure in the present moment and when i look at this you know Epicurus believed that by neglecting the present moment we make ourselves unhappy we put our happiness off to the future looking forward to the day that you know we can purchase that car or i can purchase that house or take that vacation while many of us do that on a regular basis the Epicureans, they believe that looking into the future is a waste of the present and that we should be savoring life while we can. And on the same vein, they also believe that since the past no longer exists, focusing on negatives of the past also holds us back. So it's this radical decision to choose to be happy in the present moment instead of finding reasons to be miserable.
0: Yeah, I suppose, you know, there's lots of situations where this ancient Greek wisdom uh, finds parallels in Eastern wisdom. There are real similarities between um, Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, and some of these ancient Greek philosophies. So you could say that this is kind of ancient Greek mindfulness. Um, the, the Epicureans were uh, a school of philosophy founded by this guy Epicurus in 300 BC. And it's basically, they say, don't worry about the gods. So they were quite a radical, shocking philosophy for their time. They say, you know, The gods don't really care about human affairs. The main thing is to try and be happy in this life, and humans are just really bad at being happy. We all seek happiness, but we're rubbish at doing this. Hmm. And one of the reasons is we we just worry a lot. We have this amazing capacity in our minds to time travel, and that's an important capacity, right, to reflect on the past and to build a narrative, and to kind of build models for the future. And that's really important, but it often goes haywire. So we end up you know, actually destroying our present happiness because we're so worried about the future or we're so ruminating over the past. And the Epicureans discovered we, we constantly have an ability to just bring our minds back to the present and just say, what am I missing right now? What, what, what do I have to be grateful for right now? What are the beautiful things around me that I can enjoy right now? And just by kind of modulating our attention we can you know, increase the, the, the happiness in our life. So a lot of these ancient Greek philosophies about, are about having wise, uh, wise perspectives on life and choosing your perspective. Um, so this is not to say that we should always be just totally immersed in the present. There might be times when it's wise to kind of think about the future. Your present might really suck at the moment. So it might be wise to say to yourself, it's not always going to be like this. But there are definitely moments, like in my life, where, you know, rather than just constantly say, you know, deferring happiness, saying, "Well, what's stopping me from being happy right now?" You know, to some extent, happiness can be a choice.
1: I I debated a little bit in my own mind because I like to look forward to things. I I like to look forward to my goals and achieving them, and to me, that's what keeps me happy. Is you know the the me working towards something and being able to achieve it I mean myself being able to contact you and have this interview. I looked forward to it all week and not not to blow up your head or anything, but that to me was 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 keeping me excited if I was nervous and i you know was nervous to talk to you and I was waiting for that moment where we had this interview and i was stressing out about it then that's an example where you know you looking into the future is not helping you and in fact it's hurting your happiness and so i think you have to be yeah. cognizant of that and i think that um you know epicurus uh really helps us focus on that and to say you know focus on uh, those things that are going to make you happy and look for reasons to make you happy instead of finding the reasons that are going to make you miserable
0: yeah and you make a good point ryan which is that basically A lot of these Greek philosophers, they used, um, and and I should say Roman philosophers as well, the book is about like Greek and Roman philosophers, Um, they used the metaphor of the philosopher being like a doctor. And they say like these different strategies, they're like different medicines and like different people will, will, you know, require different medicines. There might be someone who's constantly stuck in the past or constantly worried about the future. And the medicine of this, of focusing on the present might be perfect for them. But there might be someone else who's like, that's just not their problem. They they they're, you know, actually, they're totally absorbed in the present and they never think about the future. They never kind of try and, you know, advance their career or put some money aside or something like that. So for them, this strategy might not be good for them. So it's basically about finding the philosophical strategies that will help you to grow from where you are at the moment.
1: In Golden Nugget number three, we look at the Pythagoreans and how they want us to distance ourselves from our daily troubles. So thousands of years ago, the Pythagoreans were the first to try and see their lives from a larger viewpoint that made their own lives seem small and insignificant in the grand scale of the universe. So in times where, you know, we as human beings, we sit here and, you know, we make mistakes, we embarrass ourselves, we need to think back to that philosophy. and We need to imagine ourselves as tiny dots on the big blue earth and ask ourselves, does it really matter?
0: I guess what's what's interesting about about the Greeks is they often used um, astronomy as a kind of form of therapy. So they said, if you're really getting um, worked up about your life, really stressed about something, they would practice this contemplative technique called the view from above, which would be like imagining looking down at yourself and your life from the perspective of first of all your street and then you know, like then from the perspective of looking down on your country and then looking down on the whole planet Earth. Mm. So you literally imagine yourself kind of rising into space and then kind of considering the vast expanse of the universe. And this would be a way of really broadening your perspective right out. Uh, it's a form of, it's a kind of technique for for transcending your ego, your little self, mm. as a way to kind of just put things radically in in perspective. So you might find that when you watch a documentary, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen Carl Sagan's Cosmos, for example. I sure That mm-hmm. so you can go and watch on YouTube. You just watch that for half an hour, and I find I just feel like calm. It <laughs> you know, gives one a sense of awe, right? And you know, and that just it's a, it's a bit kind of soul-expanding. And and it, and it you know, if one did that repetitively and you know frequently, that that just broadens your soul i think it's the same when you go into a beautiful um you know forest of redwoods for example or 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 you're looking out on an ocean it just broadens your perspective mm-hmm. so that you're less kind of um stuck in your anxious self absorbed frame of mind
1: yeah, that takes time to to develop i mean it, it honestly it took me time i feel like i've gotten to a point where you know i've maybe Allowed myself to escape my ego, so to speak, where before I thought, you know, the world surrounded around me. You know, when I had an interview or when I had a speaking engagement, it was all about me, me, me. But then I kind of broadened it up a little bit and I said, you know, how many people are doing speaking engagements? You know, how many people are doing interviews today? Why are you so worried about it? You're just one individual. You know, this person who's interviewing you, they had to do an interview. So the whole world does not revolve around you. And so to actually be able to internalize that thought. It takes time, but it takes experiences like the ones you're talking about to help bring that perspective to your to your 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 soul, your mind. I, it's, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I'm the same. I get, I you know, I had bad social anxiety when I was younger, so I have
0: kind of strategies to cope with social anxiety, and I do a lot of talks as well. And I'll, of, you know, I'll often feel anxious still, but before talks, and my strategy, the kind of perspective I take to try and frame it, uh, is, is I think maybe. There'll be like a few people here that this talk will be really helpful for. So it doesn't even matter. It's not really about me and my performance. It's about just trying to pass on the wisdom. Mm. So that really helps me. I just think maybe there's like two or three people, and it doesn't matter if the guy in the front row is yawning or whatever. You know, just trying <laughs> to pass on the wisdom. One thing, a lot of that's um, at the heart of both ancient Greek wisdom and cognitive therapy is the importance of like habits, like you've got to do things repeatedly to change your kind of attitudes and your perspectives.
1: Mm.
0: So, um, I mean, that's, that's something that's there in in stoicism in Epicureanism. Um, Aristotle, he he basically says another great Greek philosophy, he says we are what we repeatedly do. So they have this idea that you've, you've got to, you can't just have a, a good idea once you've got to practice it repeatedly. It's like Epictetus said, if you have a bad temper, practice uh not losing your temper and count the days on which you don't lose your temper and if to if you get to 30 days consider that you're making progress so they really had quite a sophisticated science of changing habits um and they would use things like journals to keep track of themselves and keep track of their habits so a, a lot of stuff that we still use today in cognitive therapy and self-help they were doing two thousand years ago
1: hmm. a lot of the times in well In our society today, we love instant gratification. So the point that you just raised there, I mean, it's important to realize that a lot of these things take time. And while you might not see the change you want after the first day, the first week, the first month, it takes time and dedication. So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So in golden nugget number four, we look at Plutarch and that Plutarch shows us the importance of role models. So Plutarch stressed the importance of having a great role model, whether it be our parents or even if it's the deceased. He encouraged reading biographies about great men and great women from the past that we may emulate their honorable behavior. Mm -hmm. So when I think about Plutarch, I ask myself, you know, who do I hang around with and what are the influences on my life and what are they bringing? What are they bringing to me? Are they bringing the best out of me or are they dragging me down? And when I look at my life and the times where I really took my life to another level, it was because I had great role models, whether they were professionals in my field, my parents, um, role models play a very big role in our development
0: you know in, in, in each of these kind of chapters i um I, I kind of put forward um stories of people i've interviewed who've used these ideas people today who've used these ideas from ancient philosophy uh in their lives so the, um one of the guys i interviewed for this chapter was a guy called louis Ferranti. he grew up in queens and the role models in his neighborhood were all gangsters um, they were the big status people. So when he was a teenager, that's what he wanted to be. He modeled himself. He worked for John Gotti. He was a famous New York Don. Oh, wow. uh, um, and uh, and he, he was a very good gangster, but he got then he got caught and he went to prison and he saw some of these um, mafia guys like John Gotti. And he said it was like seeing Caesar without his throne. They were just kind of petty, complaining people. So he had terrible role models growing up. What he did is he taught himself to read. He couldn't read when he went in there. And he, and he discovered the library, and he, he discovered um, biographies. Uh, he read, I think, a biography of, um, of Cicero, this great Roman uh, philosopher. Uh, and I think he stole it initially from the library, and then he felt guilty and brought it back. But he, and he read you know, a lot of these uh, great biographies of heroes, people like Nelson Mandela as well, and they were the role models that he didn't have when he was growing up. He, he particularly admired Mandela, right? And how he coped with decades in prison and he preserved his kind of integrity and dignity. Um, and he's now a, um, a campaigner for, for literacy in prisons and he's a very impressive man. So I think you can think about the important people around you in your life and and it sounds like you've, you've been both lucky and wise in, in, in having good mentors around you. But if you don't you know, have mentors with you right now in life. You can still find inspiration from reading, um, you know, biographies of people who've done extraordinary deeds, and that's really inspiring. I remember when I was writing this book back in 2011, um, I read a biography of Shackleton, the great um, Antarctic explorer. You know, who just went through incredible ordeals on on his on his adventures and explorations of the Antarctic. Hmm. and reading that it just made me think oh, I, I want to go and you know I, I want more adventure in my life and it didn't inspire me to do anything like what he did but it did inspire me to like do this pilgrimage route across the north of Spain called the Camino del Santiago hmm. which goes from the French border right along to the to the um, uh, Atlantic mm-hmm. and that was like one of the most fun months uh, in the last 10 years of my life. Like, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, you walked 780 kilometers, you meet amazing people along the way. Mm. And that came from from reading like Shackleton's biography. Just, you know, that was, I just was inspired at his sense of adventure and just going out to, to explore things. So I, I definitely encourage people to both think about the mentors in their life, but also just like, to read more about people who've had remarkable mm. lives, to see what humans are capable of.
1: That's right. And you know, it's funny, I wasn't a big fan of reading biographies before. But then I picked up a few biographies from people that I, I did respect. Um, individuals like, like Bruce Lee, for example. I mean, I grew up in the martial arts, and our listeners know that. But his yeah. his, his philosophy on life was was very unique. And when you look yeah. at what what that individual was able to achieve, and the philosophies that he had that brought him to that point, I mean, You know, every day in my life, I look back at some of his philosophies, and I use that to help me deal with difficulties or help me in coaching, for example. You know, just yesterday, I used one of one of his many um, his many philosophies, Um, and so I think that there's a lot that we can learn from individuals um, uh, of the past.
0: And and, you know, and I think um, the, the 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 Greeks thought that the way we really learn about how to be a good person. Is by um, is, is is actually by watching other people as well and and kind of emulating them and copying them and seeing them up close. Hmm. Um, and you know I think so they you know someone like they would tell these stories about people like Socrates or Epicurus or Epictetus who weren't just amazing communicators. They were properly good people. You know I mean they really they had dramatic lives. Like Socrates put on trial by by you know the people of Athens. He had he could have run away, but he decided to kind of die for his beliefs and values. So these were like, these were not just like um you know successful authors. You know, I mean they really walked the walk as well. That's right. And I think um you know I I think I, I suppose you know you probably met a lot of you know great teachers and and and, and self-help teachers and so on over the years. But you'll have seen some of them up close, and you'll see some of them will really walk the walk as well and will really have integrity. That's right. And I suppose the, 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 the thing as well is I guess people are also going to be watching us and looking at how we behave and, you know, do our does our behavior measure up to what we're preaching? I think that's a really good challenge for us, for anyone in the world of self-development. Are we, like, walking the walk as well?
1: It's a great reminder for anybody listening. Like, you know, I told you before, Jules, we have... A lot of managers, directors, um, entrepreneurs, CEOs. And you got to remember that when you have employees, they're looking up to your behavior. And so you got to remember that, you know, these people might be looking at you as mentors. And I don't know if a lot of people think that. But a lot of people that I worked with, um, they probably didn't know that they were mentors to me. And they absolutely were because they walked the walk. They told me how to act. And I had to raise my standards to meet theirs. And to me, they they were mentors. And some of them I don't think I've ever had the opportunity to tell them that. Um, but they were. And so, again, that was just them keeping themselves accountable and walking the walk, as you said. Very important.
0: Totally. I think every day you can succeed or fail. Like, I, you know, someone emailed me just a couple of days ago and they were, you know, they were slightly needy and they were bothering me. And I sent back a rather kind of, you know... Uh, unkind reply, just rather brusque reply, and that person was kind of looking up to me and looking to me for something, so I feel bad about that. Mm. So, you know, I think every day you've got to try and hold yourself to account, and, and, and including seeing when you, when you don't measure up to the mark.
1: Our last golden nugget, golden nugget number five that we've taken from the book was that Aristotle teaches us that the good life only comes to us when we work on it. So Aristotle believed that we humans, we are made to be happy. However, mm-hmm. most of us behave as if, you know, we have forgotten why we exist and we mindlessly trudge through our day without reflecting. And what mm-hmm. for? I mean, Aristotle asked himself, what are we designed for? And he came up with three key answers, mm-hmm. happiness, community, and rationality.
0: I, I love his kind of uh,
1: vision of, of,
0: of, of the, humans. We naturally seek flourishing. We naturally seek to be happy. It's just that uh, we need some guidance to find it in, 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 in the best ways possible. Otherwise, you can find rather kind of shallow or toxic forms of happiness where you're just getting a hit of dopamine by, I don't know, eating junk food or just or, or so on. Um, where, where he differs from some of the other Greek philosophers is he really sees the importance both of community and friendship to the good life. So, like, for him, uh, the true good life, is working on a meaningful project together with other people. The Stoics, they were much more individualist. So people like Epictetus and Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, they were all Stoics. They thought you could you don't really need anything external to be happy. You could be happy even if you were exiled on an island, right, as some of them actually were. Um, but Aristotle thought, no, you know, really to flourish, you need community, you need friendship. Um, and, uh, and, and he also thought about how the good life fits with the good society. So again, the Stoics, quite individualist, they say you can live a flourishing life even in a society that's, that's kind of collapsing, even in a society that's in crisis. And I think that's a reason why actually Stoicism is quite popular today, because we're seeing a lot of institutions and societies kind of in crisis. But Aristotle says, look, my good, uh, you know, my good life also depends on having a good society. So he was a big supporter of of democracy. He thought democracy was the best system to enable flourishing because he thought freedom and mm. you know freely gathering together with other people and talking about like philosophy and the good life these you know these were all essential really. So um, you know he was he was a great defender of democracy and, and that helps us to think about what um, what are the organizational structures that help people to flourish. If you're running a company, what's the kind of company you going to, you know, does your company structure help your employees to flourish? What could you do more to help them flourish? Does it help them to kind of come together on meaningful projects? Does it help them to socialize with each other? Does it have spaces where they can talk about what really matters to them? So you can have, you know, you can think about how to ap- apply some of these ideas around flourishing Mm-hmm. Um, to your company as well.
1: There's a there's a word that um, Aristotle uses, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, and you can correct me, but maybe you could talk a little bit about this and, and help us understand a little bit better. Eudaimonia. Am I pronouncing yeah. that correctly? Yeah, you did. You got it. You nailed it. So talk to us a little bit about that, because it's, I think it's a fairly important term that I really got from the book, and I think it would be great for you to go into a little bit more detail on that for our listeners.
0: Sure. Eudaimonia is basically the word they use for uh, flourishing. So um, Aristotle thought that you know he says that all humans seek um, eudaimonia. We all seek to flourish. But um, eudaimonia for um, for Aristotle, like uh, for the Stoics, doesn't just mean um, happiness. It's more like um, meaningful happiness. It's like um, ethical happiness. So it means having a life which is a life of meaning and purpose and and, and, and good ethics. Um, it, it, it literally means like having a good flow of life or, or I mean, you know, if you really want to get into the etymology, it's eudaemon, which means um, being in tune with the God within you, right? So that's mm-hmm. the kind of literal translation of it. So it's basically kind of having developed a good conscience, and living a life that's in tune with that kind of, with your with your deepest values. Mm. Um, so it's, um, you know, there's a whole kind of modern science around uh, well-being today. Um, and there's some people, there's, there's people define well-being in different ways. So some people say we should define it like Epicurus does, as just happiness. Mm. And then there's another school of scientists who say um, we should define it uh, as Aristotle does, as kind of eudaimonia and flourishing and life satisfaction. So in my country, um, in the UK, the Office of National Statistics has actually the last few years started to measure both British people's happiness and their eudaimonia. So they started measuring both their Epicurean happiness and their sense of like life satisfaction and meaningfulness in life to try and use this to guide uh, government policy.
1: It was a pleasure speaking with you, my friend, and I really hope that people who listen to this, they'll go off, they'll pick up the book, they'll dig into it, they'll get a little bit deeper into it, and um, hopefully, hopefully, we can uh, help some people out there who maybe need it and uh, provide a little bit of stimulus and a little bit of knowledge to uh, people who are searching for it. Thank you so much again, Jules. I really appreciate you being on the show, the author of Philosophy for Life and Other Dangerous Situations. Thank you again, my friend. Appreciate it. Great talking to you. All right, there we have it. That's philosophy for life and other dangerous situations, ancient philosophy for modern problems with my friend, Jules Evans. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jules. I think he added a lot of different perspectives, different opinions, and those philosophies that we can apply in our own lives to help protect us from some of the troubling times that might come in. I say might, but they will. There's no avoiding troublesome times in life and we all have to do our part to arm ourselves, to protect ourselves, from a lot of the danger that can come with it. With a mind that's not prepared for these troubled times, we can get ourselves into some very dangerous situations that take our lives lives into some completely different paths. And so for me, I'm always one to arm myself with the right philosophies to protect myself. And this book is one of those ways that you can protect yourself. So I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you can commit a lot of these to memory to help protect you when you do face some troublesome times in the future. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to get your reviews in for the podcast. Go online, rate and review the show. Submit your entry to me, at me.com, And we'll make sure that you get entered into the draw. Don't forget to also follow along on social media, LinkedIn especially. Just look me up, find me, follow me, connect with me. And Instagram especially. Definitely Instagram, LinkedIn. Facebook, a little bit of Facebook, but more Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. Well, that's a wrap, my friends, so I hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I'll catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, and an interview with an author. Take it easy. Have a great week. I love you guys.
2: alone but if you keep going stay true to yourself it will be worth it in the end the hardest walk you can make is the walk you make alone but that is the walk that makes you the strongest that is the walk that builds your character the most To all of you fighting battles alone. To all of you going against the grain. Battling the naysayers. Stay strong. Keep going. Stay strong. Keep going. This walk is hard. But the hardest walks lead to the greatest destinations. The toughest climbs always lead to the best views it will be worth it in the end and if you show what you are made of the right people will show up in your life you won't be a lone wolf forever you have qualities only few can admire because most don't possess You have strength only few can understand because most have never experienced. So don't give in. Don't settle. Don't lower your expectations to fit into the world. You were born to stand out. You were born to lead. Lead the pack. They say the wolf on the hill is never as hungry as the wolf climbing the hill. Always be that wolf climbing the hill. Always hungry for more. Always hungry to grow. To feed your mind and rise to the highest level you can take yourself. Never looking back. Always looking forward to the next feast. Feast of success in whatever you do. It does not matter if you have to walk alone for a while. It is much better to walk alone in the right direction than to follow the herd walking in the wrong direction. Stay strong. Be different. Your destiny is in your hands. Get out there and hunt it. to any device worldwide. FearlessMotivation.com